0: All right. Hello, friends, and welcome to the more to the story podcast. I'm so glad that you have come along for this live edition, which is happening on my Facebook page. And we're thankful for the opportunity to share it with you. This is kind of the end of the year wrap up of the podcast. I have a couple of top 10 top lists that are going to come through. Um, also along around this same time, we'll be having an episode that comes out of the kind of like the top five podcast from this year but this is something i did last year i'm not sure it's going to work every year but for 2023 this is going to be the top 10 stories from the wesleyan world whatever the wesleyan world is that's another story but we'll talk about that in a little bit i want you to know this podcast is brought to you by wesley biblical seminary where we are developing trusted leaders for faithful churches and my friend, Bill Roberts, who's a financial planner. He's a Christian who loves to serve people. Pretty, and he really is great with helping people who are in ministry think about their retirement. I'd love for you to check out his his work at williamhroberts.com. And on top of that, I have something Ryan and Jonathan m- might want. Maybe I should send them a free one. Nice. Somebody sent these to me. They gave them to me. My That's own awesome. mugs. Isn't that cool? That. The More to the Story podcast mugs. There are 12 of them. If you're interested, go to andymiller3rd.com and uh, we'll see about getting you one. And also until January 2nd, my two small group Sunday school studies that are available, one on the afterlife called Heaven and Other Destinations, A Biblical Journey Beyond This World is available there. It's five video sessions, discussion guides and um, interactive groups. Then there also is another study called Contender, a study of the book of Jude. Those are half off until January 2nd. Here's how you can get that. If you just enter the code HALF, H A L F, is that how that spelled, Ryan? Half? <laughs> sure. Yes, yes, yes. That's yes, it. Yes. Okay, great, great. So you can find that out there. Boy, I really put him on the spot with that one. I really put him on the spot. Okay, I, I am so glad to welcome into the podcast, my friends. My friends who are are coming to you from various locations, I have Dr. Ryan Danker from Washington, D.C., and the John Wesley Institute, and my friend, Dr. Jonathan Powers from Asbury Theological Seminary. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Ryan, I'm sorry. This is the first time I've had you on. It seems like a shame.
1: Really? This, I, I, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> I We talk enough, and I just kind of figured I'd been on this already.
0: <laughs> sure, and obviously a return guest, and I brought this guest in with uh, Jonathan Powers because uh, he was a part of being the number one story from last year, which was the new Pan Wesleyan hymnal. That was the number one story last year. But it's, since that happened last year, Jonathan, it's not on the list this year, I'm sorry to say.
2: You know, the new uh, leather-bound edition is out, though, now. Oh, okay. I got one today. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So Can you
0: show us? Yeah, oh, it looks right good. There.
2: Very nice, yeah. So it's cool. Even, you know.
0: With your name.
2: Yeah. Oh, it was a gift from Seedbed, actually, so I, I appreciate them doing that for me. It's a very nice gift. But, yeah, those, those are out now. So that'll be, you know, number 11 on, on the list. Okay, number
0: 11, <laughs> the leather-bound edition. <laughs> yeah.
1: Leather-bound handle. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So this is just kind of a fun way to think about things that are happening in the what sometimes is called the Pan-Wesleyan world. Those people, those denominations who feel a theological and missional connection to the evangelical revival that John Wesley was a part of leading in the 18th century. And so several denominations find their source there. And um, uh, Ryan's a a scholar of John Wesley, um, and uh, Jonathan works in liturgical studies in in, – other areas and is thinking about this and part of the reason we made the hymnal number one last year was because it was this real uniting force for these various denominations and so not just denominations because some of them aren't denominations some of them are just movements and expressions or institutions and so we thought this might be a fun thing to do to think about the things that are happening there but before i get going do you all have any comments before we get to the top 10 list no
2: thanks again appreciate doing Uh it.
0: All right, here we go. All right. now, number ten, it's coming in strong. We did We didn't do a lot of debate about this. This was basically my list, so if you don't like it, you can just blame me. But in this moment, I think this is an interesting issue. So number ten is the doctrine of inerrancy is debated in Wesleyan evangelical circles. And this critically mm-hmm. came last summer when there was a, a David Watson wrote an article um about biblical authority it was responded to by Tom McCall at Wesley Biblical Seminary one of the institutions that uses the word inerrancy in our articles of faith um we had a, a we had we we entered in discussion Dr. Murray vassar did we had some dialogues there's good conversations with that so ryan why do you think why do you think this is uh, something that's just coming up and I I don't I think this is a nice friendly conversation by the way and I I like
1: it yeah, yeah. Oh yeah no we're not we're not going to launch at each other um- I mean, the uh, I mean, it's interesting because that debate took place uh, primarily on the pages of Firebrand magazine, where I serve as one of the lead editors. Mm-hmm. And so I I knew about the backstory <laughs> as much as I did about um, the reactions to it. You know, we're we're Methodism is in a period of realignment, as I like to tell everybody. And I think right now the question is, you know, Scripture is authoritative. What does that mean? And yeah, so yeah, people sure. are looking for different words for that. I mean, I have my stark opinions, and you know them. Um, but it's in fact, everybody who follows me on Twitter knows I have stark opinions about everything. but um, <laughs> I think what we're trying to say actually what I think about this debate is I think we're actually saying the same thing. We're just refusing to use the word same, the same words. Um, so ultimately, I think what 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 Wesleyan, what traditionalist Wesleyan is going to need to figure out is how do we say that the Bible's trustworthy and will lead you to Christ-like living? Because that's a Wesleyan way of approaching it. But it was interesting yeah, to and, watch. And David some might and also Tom. add,
0: not just that, some might add, is it true? So, but yeah, yeah, you're oh, right. Sure, it does need sure. to lead to transformation. Yeah.
1: Is it true? Yeah. Um, but Wesley was all about, you know, the Bible leads you to holiness. I mean, that was yeah, yeah, if, you, sure. if you look at his notes on the Bible, that's what he talked about. So it, I don't know. I, it's an interesting a period in time where people are looking back at the at the foundations and saying what mm-hmm. do we actually think about these things and that's yeah, just yeah. part of the story
0: that's good yeah i think this It's it just and i'm not trying to actually re-litigate the debate there was a great i mean really well articulated positions between tom and david there and, and murray vassar as well so i won't like but but I think it's an interesting th- fact. That's why it's number 10. It's way down the list, but it is something that's happening in this in this community. Jonathan, you have anything you ad- want to add there?
2: No, I, I mean, it's, it's the same. I, I, as Ryan said, you know, I, I think there's. Um, there might be some anxiety around it um, from for some. I don't think that's yeah. everybody. I, you know, I, I think some probably do have anxiety about this um, because of culturally what's happening, um, with, uh, you know, in the church, uh, on the one hand, um, but, uh, uh looking at the scriptures, you know, we're, we're wanting to say we, we respect the scriptures. We find them authoritative. Uh, we find them trustworthy. We find them true. Um, no doubt we find them fully sufficient for salvation and holiness, um, as we've been talking about, and we do not want to compromise any of those things. You know, and to say there are certain fundamentals that we want to hold to that the church has held to since before the canon was even established, you know, that has been articulated in the creeds and things like that, like virgin birth. I mean, to say things that are coming out right now, even, you know, (laughs) like virgin birth, the bodily resurrection of Christ, um, our bodily resurrection, things like that. Say, like, these we we believe this is scripturally true and and promises and all that, um, because we've seen churches that have not regarded those things as true or scriptural um and so uh so there's there might be some anxiety around it but i think there is uh for a lot of people i don't know that's coming out of a place of of anxiety though i think it's just clarity they're just wanting to bring like brian was saying they just want to bring clarity it's like how can we just say something very clear and concise and let people know like hey we we really do believe this you know
0: right yeah that's good i and and i think there's not anybody from i'd say i I would be one who'd want to emphasize within the institution that i serve the the word inerrancy i think there's power to it it's one of the strongest possible terms that can be used but i also at the same time am not saying hey this needs to be absolutely articulated within every denomination that thinks of itself in a traditional perspective so Mm -hmm. just to kind of like lay that out that perspective out there and if you want to see a deeper longer conversation on this you can go back to one of my podcasts from the summer where we talked about this with Steve Blakemore, Murray Vassar, and Matt Ayers. I think that's a that's a helpful conversation just to read. Oh, sorry, I lost my microphone there. Just something that, that we can read and just just think through it. I think yeah. le- leading to a place of Scripture's authority and how this change, can change the world and change lives and lead us to holiness um, because it is God's true word, I think is a something we can all agree on. Okay, yeah. that's number 10. Number nine. Now, there's two that are going to sound similar, but because this story came later, it's number nine. We might not spend a lot of time on but I'm going to say this. Number nine, Bishop Mark Webb joins the GMC. Bishop Mark Webb, who was serving as a United Methodist bishop in the Northeast. And honestly, even though he went to Asbury Theological Seminary, I didn't know about him. So this was a little bit of a surprise for me. Um, We might pick up more on this later, but this was the second bishop. So what's the significance of this, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I expected it, of course, I've known Mark for a long time, um, or, or known of him, I've known him for a couple of years, I, I, he visited me once in Washington, um, and it was interesting, I knew, we were both in, in institutions that were on the progressive side of things at, the po- at that point, and we both connected immediately because of the language, because evangelicals yeah, yeah. use a certain language. Um, and they always have, even back to the 18th century. That was, how do you know someone? Well, you listen to them. Um, and yeah, you can tell. Sure, and I sure. picked it up very quickly. So I'm not surprised. Um, now, that that conference, he was in the Upper New York Conference. Um, that conference had a, has had a strong evangelical presence within it for centuries. Yeah, and I'm that's sure. where the, burn, the, burn where over the Burned district. Over District yeah. is. Yeah, I mean, um, the free Methodists come out of that, the, you know, the Wesleyans, the the Mormons, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. lots of yeah. <laughs> movements that came out of that. Not that I want to link all three of those. So nobody jump on that. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I think, I mean, he's a, he's a major asset. He's a thoughtful and articulate Wesleyan uh, shepherd of the flock, yeah. a real mm-hmm. Bishop. And I, I think it's wonderful that we have Mark Webb. Yeah.
0: As I mean, you and I both have uh, also, we, this, this should be uh Point eight, point five. Andy Miller and Ryan Danker moved their credentials
1: to GMC. How about that? We're both in the same denomination, Eddie. It's a miracle. Wow, look at that, <laughs> I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I mean,
0: but I mean, I, I think it's helpful for us to say, it, like we're, uh, the the little bit that I know, I've met with him a couple of times, he's come and spoke. We have we have a large group of students at WBS who are in the GMC, GMC course of study students, regular master's students and um he came and met with them and it was just it, it was like like you said this pastoral bishop who was able to come in and kind of ease people's fears and so i think it's it, not just for his personality but also the fact that a bishop transfer the gmc is significant mm-hmm. an active bishop yeah, yeah. an active bishop yeah. Uh, yeah i don't know if there's anything to add there jonathan but i'll let you get in if you want
2: no just i i want to um Affirm the importance of the episco- episcopacy in that, you know, yeah, yeah, that uh, you know, this is needed. Um, and I, I know there can be a lot of um suspicion of of hierarchy and of episcopacy. Um, but uh, but what we see with someone like Bishop Webb and uh, and Bishop Jones that we'll talk about later too, um, is um, that um, you know, these are servants of the church, um, mm-hmm. bishops should be, um and and that's so clear um and um and, and you know they're they're submitting to authority and that can be that can be tough I know i'm kind of i'm i'm the anglican so i'm going to talk there about
0: you go them. bring it on
2: yeah um uh uh so um Submitting to authority, you know it's it's actually important for us to know uh yeah. you know we submit to authority as we submit to God um it's not about you know just the authoritarianism, it's actually saying no, it's actually a posture that we're taking here that's important because it helps us keep that posture before God too, but knowing just as God is one who who has stooped to serve you know humanity yes, yes. condescended you know the the bishops um are are in that place as well and and these are ones that trustworthy good um good people um that uh truly um see their work as service to the church not as authorities in the church i mean there's an authority comes right. with it but that's not the posture that they take they see themselves as servants of the church and that's so yeah. key
0: yeah this, this is a good moment to make sure that this is done well that the that it's thought through and that the administrative bureaucratic functions don't come to dominate this important biblical historical office. So, all right, number eight, similar in the sense it deals with authority, though some might think the authority and I might be one of them, that the authority is a little too strong sometimes. And that is the denomination from which I come. The Salvation Army, this past summer, elected a new general and i'll just tell you about this process and Ryan, you might think this sounds like something else that uh and another global movement but there is all the leaders come together in one room and they don't say anything to anybody else necessarily they get a couple of reports that come out every now and then and then one of them emerges after some white smoke comes no 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 uh no there is uh, one emerges as the new international leader who has the title and the seat from william booth uh so th- there was a new general, General Buckingham, was elected this past year. And I think the significance of it in this moment, particularly, and he's, he's agreed to come on my podcast, so I uh, hope to interview him here in January. We've had to change the dates a few times, um, is that this is a moment where clarity needs to be given, as has happened in other denominations, as is happening now in Methodism as a whole. So the real question's going to be, what's going to happen with this general? Will he speak into the issues? That are critical toward the expression of biblical fidelity, particularly as it relates with human sexuality. And and then there are other issues too that need to need to come about as well. So I look at this as, as an important issue because it's a global movement with more than a million members of its churches around the world. So and I got to make the list and you guys let me keep it on. So thank you. You're welcome <laughs> I don't know if you want to add anything about the Salvation Army in that. But, I mean, Ryan, you've been to IHQ, so you you know a little bit. It's kind of a – I am.
1: I know exactly where the white smoke came out. That's uh, <laughs> yeah, right there in the shadow of St. Paul's Cathedral. How, how appropriate.
0: <laughs> it is. It has been there since
1: 1882.
0: Wow. Okay. So that's mine. I'm going to go to now number seven. And, Ryan, I want you to take away the mm. Holiness Partnership and uh, also some other – uh, um a publishing house also has come about. Tell us about what's oh. going
1: on there. Oh, the Wesleyan Holiness Connection and Aldersgate Press.
0: Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, so, number seven.
1: Caveat, I'm on the steering committee of the Wesleyan Holiness Connection. So, um, but I I think the the, the news that this year is the new leadership transition that took place from, from Kevin Manoya, who founded the group, to, to Bishop John Mark Richardson, yes. um, who's a Kojic Bishop out of Los Angeles. and. I love that guy. He sends me text messages. It's 5 a.m. here, which means I don't know wow. why he's awake. But he's always like, Ryan, we need to do something bigger, bigger, bigger. And I'm like, OK, Bishop. <laughs> OK, it's 5 a.m. Let me drink some coffee first. But anyway, the the Wesleyan Holiness Connection is is one of the largest gatherings of Wesleyan bodies anywhere. Um, there are representatives from you name the group or the denomination or any. they're there. And um, and I represent the John Wesley Institute um, on that committee, but most people who are there on the steering committee, at least, represent denominations like yes. you know, United Methodists or the Wesleyans or the Nazarenes or or um, the Pentecostal representation, as in with John Mark Richardson and Kojic. It's really an amazing organization, but the transfer from the founder to a new leader that works well and it's going well and then leading into new things, that's a story for... Methodism in 2023. Why? Because other parts of the Wesleyan movement are Yeah. whereas yes. this group is coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also coming together to kind of relaunch Aldersgate Press, which has kind of been dormant for a number of years. Um, but I've, I'm encouraging some, and, and some others are leading. Barry Callen's still involved in this, and there's some others who are spearheading this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need more faithful Wesleyan resources uh for formation and catechesis aimed at the laity so yeah shout out to the whc and all the press
0: yeah now now is this um connected all to the former national um national holiness consortium was that what that was that the predecessor of this group right. holiness partnership is that what, it, what what's the name of it again there like, there used to no, be no, one no. that had a magazine and
2: it um, started out as a camp meeting kind
1: of
0: oh yeah this is it right
1: yeah. it, like well, it's not kind of iteration.
2: Not Oh, this one that wasn't?
1: No, no, Kevin Manoia founded this one. Um, and okay. Kevin wasn't around when camp meetings were still blazing in the forests. you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, what you guys are talking about. Yeah, I know, well, I'm not clear on it, but, but yeah, there used to be the National Camp Meeting Association if you really wanna go way back there. Yeah. Um, and things like the Wesleyan Theological Society even came out of that, that eventually. Yes. But there's a couple of different groups that were active. Right now, the largest is WHC. Great. that's still with us and still doing
0: that. yeah. And we've depended upon other institutions to bring you know groups together in this, like um, seminaries. So Asbury um, Theological Seminary, Asbury University was a key point. And I think that that was part of the genius of Henry Clay Morrison was that the Pentecostal Herald, the magazine, the paper that he edited, was this connecting piece. And that's in part why... The Asbury institutions became this almost like clearinghouse within the, the broad movement. But I, I think it's helpful for it not just to be connected to the academy, that this is driven by an ecclesial leader. So I'm excited about that. And I, I was able to be a part of the meeting on behalf of WBS that, that, that happened at New Room. So we're hoping to be engaged in the future as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number six. Number six is this. Uh, denominational growth. Methodists in the broad sense, or Methodist denominational growth. Now, this there certainly is a GMC um, that's, that's come about and has, be, has grown this year because of disaffiliations. But also, I just want to highlight that other denominations are growing in this period, like the Association of Independent Methodists, Congregational Methodists, Protestant Methodists, Evangelical Methodists. Now, I don't know too much about Evangelical Methodists, but particularly Congregational Methodists, and Association of Independent methods. my friends who are in those denominations or those, you know, the AIM is an association, they are just incredibly busy. These are not very they – they're not very top-heavy, and they might have like a part-time secretary who's – at least that's the case of AIM, who facilitates the administrative work. But the people who are voluntary vol- – um, they volunteer to lead, they end up – they're all over the country just like talking to groups, serving groups. So I think this is a significant moment for these other denominations that have often been sidelined to really have opportunities to be a good fit for churches that are disaffiliating. Do you guys know of other groups beyond the ones that I've mentioned?
2: Yeah, I mean, Free Methodists. Oh, um, yeah. Grown. Um, of course, the Global Methodists. Um, the, you know, my denomination, the ACNA, um, has grown. Um, yeah, I mean, tell me but, about
0: that. I don't know much about, I mean, I know about the ACNA, but tell, sure. I haven't, I haven't heard much about there being groups that have come to the ACNA.
2: There've been a few a handful. It's not, it's not many. It's nowhere near um, the others. Like those that go with the others, but I could name, I probably know of five or six. I know five, at least um, pastors that uh, were ordained UMC that have all um, in the last couple of years, you know, uh, Transferred into the ACNA and a couple of them that have taken congregations with them. Um, one another one that I guess I know four that have done that and one that's kind of actively pursuing that, um, at the moment. Um, so yeah. it's not big, but but the ACNA in general is experiencing growth. It's not necessarily because of that, but um, yeah,
1: yeah, there are, yeah. I know a few other former United Methodists who are going ACNA as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. Um, it's not like the GF. It's not like the four thousand clergy who joined the GMC, but it's it's a noticeable pathway. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and this kind of this shows too that there is a movement to like people who want more liturgical, high church expression. It, do you think that that's it? Is it? Forgive me, and Jonathan, if I I, I look for love for you to jump in here and say not just like a style question. Is there also like a theological rationale? Do you think for people going there, or is it more? um uh liturgical or aesthetic
2: i i mean i think it's a mix i I think it's a number of things um you know and i mean ryan can definitely speak to this from his own anglican like we're you know he's we're both methlicans (laughs) (laughs) um but um his uh um yeah so a few things with it i think that there's um some trusted structure um that people want you know maybe coming out and saying, like, I've not been part of structures that I've trusted. And so um, I've heard, some, I mean, I'm just going off. It's all anecdotal things that people have told me. Um, somebody said, I've just not trusted the bishops, you know, for instance, you know, that I've had. But I have I like this structure better. And these are bishops that I, I think actually believe the Bible, you know, and can say the creeds without crossing their fingers and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, there is a big draw to say we want to be grounded. I mean, it's still kind of a structure thing, but we want to be grounded in a liturgical tradition and in, in something that does ground us in a sacramental tradition, especially and one that is carried throughout the years. And, you know, uh, as as our own president here would say, uh, Dr. Tanya said, you know, not something that was made up last Tuesday. And I'm not talking about a denomination or anything like that. I'm just saying like yeah, a, yes. a way of worshiping, you know, Um uh, he says, like you know, we're 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 sitting in things that have been throughout the church, and there's there's uh, substance to it. A lot of people finding, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things honestly. A number of people said they found a breath of fresh air because they don't feel like they have to make worship meaningful. They they you wow. just into it. You're not making it meaningful. It's not about the experience of worship. Mm-hmm. It's about mm-hmm. just coming in and worshiping together, and that's mm-hmm. it. And so yeah. it's a breath of fresh air to them. And the second's been preaching. They've said yeah. I don't feel like the whole thing. Relies on the the whole, ex, you know, experience, quote unquote, of worship. The um, it's not about the sermon. Um, that's one part of so much more. And they've said I've just found such a freedom in that that I want to 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 be in that. And so those are some of the things. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's a number of others, but just I, since you brought up the worship piece of it, like, no,
0: I, I think it's good. That's exactly. Thank you so much for addressing that, um, Ryan. You want to add anything there? Well, i mean it's
1: just it's a historic pattern this has been happening amongst methodists for centuries um yeah, yeah. i mean they're really these are the heirs of charles wesley mm. um i mean john never left church of england as i like to remind everybody but charles was adamant about it mm. and in fact you know some of the people that john wesley ordained in 1784 ended up episcopalians and ordained at the hands of episcopal bishops um so that you know it the I mean, the leader of american methodism before asbury came joseph Fillmore, became an episcopalian so it's you know this this is this has been happening for a long time um back then it was the liturgy and apostolic succession um and i think probably for many in the 18th century it was just staying a part of the what they considered to be the established church this, this is wasn't. really
0: good ryan oh sorry to interrupt you finish what you're saying there
1: uh, well i'm just saying even though i'm well aware that the episcopal church was not established necessarily yeah, but it yeah. It seemed like it. So anyway.
0: This is what's interesting is like 1784. This is the moment when Wesley ordained uh, various people. And Mm -hmm. as a result of this, I I do think we're going to keep coming back to this date and we're going to keep, we're going to think about this more now for what it means to exist as a church. What does it mean to be a denomination? Why do we have denominations? And also you bringing up the, 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 Change, you know, to the leadership of Francis Asbury. I think a lot of this, like he, the groups that I named, and maybe some that are, even though we have some ACNA people connected to us here at Wesley Biblical Seminary, a lot of the denominations we serve would be more on the um, uh, on the Asbury side, not not Asbury Seminary College, the Francis Asbury side oh. of the movement. And maybe sometimes I I don't like low church high church I don't love that that language but but more revivalistic more conver, um, conversion focused um, not that these that things don't happen in other places just like everything Jonathan said aren't things that don't happen in the so-called lower church sort of environment but I do think this is going to and, and sometimes uh, point number ten about inerrancy comes to be a part of these you know same discussions so I think. This is going to be a part of the continuing conversation of what happens in these movements. And I'm hopeful that um, even things like having the Wesleyan Holiness Partnership becomes a stabilizing factor and a connecting factor. in this. Even though I just jumped back to another point, I was talking about the growth of these other denominations in light of what's happening in the United Methodist Church. All right, so that was six. So I had inerrancy, Bishop Mark Webb. A new Salvation Army General, Holiness Partnership, number six, the denominational growth, number five, and this is fresh off the presses, as in the last 48 hours, and mm-hmm. Jonathan and I might say the least here in light of our jobs, but two uh, Evangelical oh. Wesleyan seminary presidents have resigned in the last 48 hours, or transi- transition transitioned to new roles. That might be a better way of saying it, so I'm not the PR person here, um, but just, I think in 2023, these are things that have happened. So Ryan, why don't you? So since Jonathan and I might yeah. not want to be the ones to jump I'll, in here, I oh, just say,
1: real quick, I concur.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I concur. Yeah, I mean, you could do a Reagan thing and just say, I don't recall. um <laughs> Well, um <laughs> it's always good to bring it up together anyway, get <laughs> uh Anyway, no, we we you know this is a this is a time of transition. I think it's a. It's a hit to the Wesleyan world in a sense that these two men, uh, who you know, all three of us know these men very well. Yeah. Um, they're friends of ours. Let's let's be honest. We think very highly of both of them. Um, my my hope for them is is that they can continue to be faithful witnesses because they've always done that, and I I have no doubt that they will. Um, and you know, I mean, Tim's been at Asbury now for fourteen years, right, as president. And what a what an amazing tenure. Yeah. Um, you know, record enrollment, um, record uh fundraising, expansion of programming, on and on and on and on. Uh, the centenary that he covered in 2022, three, twenty twenty three. Well, end of uh, twenty two to twenty three, yeah. Right. That's why I was confused. Um I'm also a Duke graduate, so I don't keep track of everything in Wilmore. <laughs> um <laughs> the um You know, I mean, what a record that that Tim leaves behind. And of course, you know, Matt, Matt actually was at WBS for not too long, but he still left a great record uh, of growth and connections and expansion. And he's to be commended in such a short period of time, relatively speaking, of leading so faithfully. So that those are my comments about these two guys that we think so highly of. And goodness, trying to replace either of them. <laughs> that's going to be interesting.
0: Uh, I'll be like Jonathan. I concur. It's <laughs> good. I concur. Uh, all right. So that was number five. Uh, but I think it's I think it's significant. So number four. Now that there's the order of this is a little funny, but I say number four. It was was very soon into the new year, like one of the first few days of the new year. We got word that Bishop Scott Jones transferred to the GMC. Uh, Bishop Scott Jones, who's a scholar, who had been a um, a Wesley scholar and you know, functioned in the academy as a pastor, but then was a bishop for, I think, 16 years. Uh, this, I put this higher on the list because it was the first. He was the first one to transfer. And the GMC wisely had a path for this to happen in their transitional book of discipline. And then as these conferences emerged all over the country and world, there was a need for a bishop. And we were so glad that they were present. Um, and we could talk about this in in a few ways. We already talked about the importance of the role of bishop, the ecclesiological role, but also I mean, think this is a historic piece as well because this was the first one. Would either either of you like to say anything about this?
1: Well, I mean, I I'll jump in with with Bishop Scott. I mean, it was a bit. I think it was a bigger splash than when Mark Webb did it. Probably one because he was the first active bishop to do it i think we need to re- reiterate that that there have been what five bishops uh, it's Six true days.
0: mike lowry too yeah
1: well there's, and there's more than that um i can't remember all the names off the top of my head so i'm not gonna try um That's but crazy. yeah definitely mike lowry my goodness what a what a force retired or not i don't care mike lowry is a force um <laughs> um scott jones wrote the book on united methodism
0: mm, mm-hmm
1: that I mean, and he comes from a family again. It's fun. I I know all these people. Uh, <laughs> the Jones family has been a part of United Methodism for decades, and not just a part of it, I mean, integral, yeah. faithful leaders. Um, Greg Jones, his brother, was the dean of the Divinity School when I was at Duke. Uh, Susan, Greg's wife, was my candidacy mentor for ordination. I mean, um. And then, of course, uh, uh, Scott and Greg's dad had been the dean of Duke Divinity School. So there's I mean, there's a long relationship with United Methodism there. Um, but also he wrote the book on Methodism that everybody read on United Methodism. That everybody read called The Extreme Center. Right, right. And so there was almost this sense. Amongst some people, and I'm being really careful because I don't want to step on third rails here because I, I, I love everybody, um, the there was a sense in which the, if the guy who wrote the extreme center is leaving, then something is going on here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if the extreme center itself is leaving, then, then what does that mean? I think that, that shook some people up. Yeah. I'll put it that way.
0: That's a good word. I think I think highlighting that book and what this means about wh- what the center is and what's happening in Methodist United Methodism. Now is mm-hmm. um it's not in the center. Then those who are on, who are, um, were in the center now find themselves on the far right <laughs> of that movement if they, it, this is a problem of using directional terms um but it, it is significant jonathan you want to add anything
2: yeah i mean just a different approach or a different side of all this is um I mean, they definitely need our prayers um not just yes, because yes. of what they're doing um i mean definitely you know always you know bishops need our prayers but um they need our prayers they're carrying a lot right now Yeah, yeah. Um, some of them are carrying a lot and are just in high demand they're they're um, doing a lot of problem solving um they're having to um help set direction you know i mean i i I agree with ryan it was a brilliant move on the gmc's part transitional leadership council's part to have a pathway already ready say like yes we already know how we're doing this and that was that was good Um, there's so many things they're still just trying to manage and figure out, especially for this convening conference coming up. Um, so, um, you know, need our prayers for that, but also just in the sense they're having to travel a lot and a lot of meetings, a lot of ordinations, a lot, you know, there's just a whole lot that is on the shoulders of very few people at the moment. And I know they're very ready to have more help. And so just pray for endurance, um, for them.
0: Thank you for saying that, Jonathan. Actually, and I know, like, in your dad serving as the um, president pro tem uh, for the Kentucky area, I forget the name of that that conference. Mid South, Mid South conference. Mid-South, okay, got it. Yeah, and so you you might know some of that through him. And as mm-hmm. we've been working with a variety of leaders, um, we're just aware of these. T- and and then everywhere we go to kind of let people know that we're able to serve them and help them in their theological education, those bishops are there, and they are in the spotlight. Um, and yeah. it's a, that's a heavy light.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah.
0: All right. So we have that as number four. Bishop Scott Jones jo- joins the GMC. Number three, I have a former Nazarene on the call, so this would be good. But <laughs> the Nazarene church stepped up to the plate and yeah. they are trying to avoid the challenges of the United Methodist Church. And the Nazarenes have pulled the credentials from some high profile uh, at least one high profile pastor, um, over issues related to human sexuality. So I think this is a significant moment for that denomination. And, you know, on my podcast, I, I had some conversations with, um, conservative and liberal perspectives on both sides of the Nazarene conversation and the United Methodist and the Salvation Army. And, um, when that happened these events hadn't happened so i think this is an important moment of accountability and this is what this is in part why we have denominational systems is that it is it is a means of presenting a unified vision of who we are and if it's going to exist there needs to be accountability because if there's not accountability we end up having more schisms um, so I think, I think that's a significant moment. Now, do you guys agree? I put this toward the top of the list. And number three, I've just uh, and I'll highlight, too, some of our my colleagues here at Wesley Biblical Seminary put together a book responding to another book of why the Nazarene church is right on human sexuality. So there was significant attention given to this, and I just want to applaud my friends in the Nazarene church who are working hard to kind of hold the ground here.
1: Yeah, I I, I was going to give Matt Freedom a shout out, but you just did it. So um, <laughs> it's the Church of the Nazarene is, I think, facing these issues more honestly than than the mainline did. Um, so for so many years, we just wanted to pretend like it was okay for everyone to have all kinds of opinions, even if they were contrary to the actual canons of the church that everyone supposedly agreed to. Yeah, and and what that did. That what that did to both conservatives and liberals is that it, inter- it introduced a lack of integrity into the institution that wasn't necessary yes and so and and of course you know people ask me what do i help for progressive methodists i, I said i hope they can be as a, a people of integrity because i know that deep down they are hmm. um and and that's my hope for them but anyway the i know we're, we're not focusing on progressives but <laughs> with the nazarenes what's interesting is this is not the first time they've done this with with credentials this is the first time that social media has reacted so swiftly Mm. and caused such a stir um i could go off and name a number of people who've quietly been you know dismissed from their orders for holding exactly um the opinions that the pastor of san diego first held um What's interesting involved, What's interesting about this particular case though is that it it follows the general superintendents declaring that their um, their ethical standards are right. doctrinal.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Now there were some who had a, a fit about this, and, but the reality is if your ethical standards as a church right. aren't doctrinal, then don't have them. Right, <laughs> you yep. Know? yep. If you wanna separate doctrine and ethics so thoroughly and of course, too many people separate doctrine and liturgy. But anyway, I won't go on that soapbox. Um, doctrine and ethics have to go together. And the general simply reminded everybody that that's just the case. I was a little disappointed by some of the social media reactions of Nazarenes oh, who shit. should know better. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, let's all walk with integrity. Um, when, in whatever denominational group we find ourselves in following Jesus, let's at least have basic integrity and i I commend the Nazarenes,
0: yes good word um yeah i think i I think it's a clear moment, and that separation that's exactly what this that's what the new general of the Salvation Army has to face there's a in the articles of faith that every mm-hmm. salvation assigns there's a doctrinal statement and then there's the word therefore, and then the ethical statements, mm-hmm. and the exact same thing's happening you say well i I'll I'll take the you know the doctrines. I don't know if they really want to take all the doctrines, but nevertheless, the, um, they have those. And then often, wanting to remove ourselves from the way that those are played out. So, hmm. all right. So we have we, that was number three coming down to number two. Now this has been a part of many other pieces that we've said earlier, so it won't won't be a surprise. But I think the number is significant, and that's this number two: disaffiliations from the United Methodist Church. The number, my friend who is calculating all this, Mark Tooley, who works with Ryan, uh, Ryan works at the Institute for Religion and Democracy, um, is keeping a daily count, probably, of what's happening. So what is the number today, Ryan?
1: Oh, it's, it's, it's 7,600 and something. I could I text Mark, but it's 7,600 plus disaffiliated, not just this year, but total in the last number of years. What's significant about that and it's it's just a massive schism. I mean, on both, you know, and it's not just the disaffiliations that are schisming churches. Schism like this. Um, let's be clear about that. <laughs> um, what we have here is one out of every four United Methodist churches in the United States has not only decided to leave, but has overcome all the hurdles. And all the process and all the turmoil that comes along with the disaffiliation process. And it's just amazing to me. One in four. I mean, that's just massive. And I was talking to some friends here in Washington. They said, well, how big is this? And I said, well, there are 6,000 parishes in the Episcopal Church. And there are 7,600 United Methodist churches that just left. And everybody's like, oh. Because everybody knows, everybody drives by an Episcopal church all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, sure,
0: that's a good good comparison. Um,
1: and and yet this is sixteen hundred more. So, I, Jonathan, I don't know how many parishes are in the ACNA. Is it sixteen hundred? Yeah, about that. So you combine the,
2: I think if you combine the Episcopal and the ACNA, you would have the number of people that uh, the number of churches that have left the. Wow, you know, church.
1: it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And now in prayer, by the way, I think we do. Do need to continue to pray for the united methodist bishops that they might because they're all in shock i mean they, the whole institution's in shock because what happens when you lose a quarter of yourself mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. um so that's something else to add to the prayer list isn't it yeah right. yeah
0: jonathan do you think schism is the right word to use
2: for what's uh, for going on what's, right?
0: what, what's happened what's yeah. happening I
2: mean, yeah definitely i mean you just see that you, you see it in so many places right now because of um I mean, there, there's, there's a, 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 rendering apart, right. You know I mean? That's what, a, that's yeah. what it is. that's <laughs> a schism that's happening in that. And, uh, and you know, especially if you go back to read Wesley's sermon on schism, yes. you know, you start to see a lot of the, it's like, okay, no, he's naming a number of things here that you have to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and I mean, everything Brian's saying is so significant, you know, the, 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 prayer part of that, you know, the, the, the bishops in the Methodist church are, are in shock. A uh, number of pastors are in shock or just confused. They don't know where to go. Um, uh, or I like where to go with their churches, you know, what to do. I don't mean necessarily go denominationally, but like just where to go forward you know, with their church. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, there's just, um, you know i'm not i'm not in all of that um but i know enough people that are connected to it that just there's there's enough backbiting going on on both sides that um i just yeah a lot of people are just really abused and really hurt on both sides that's true i'll I'll
0: say give a a little positive word about some of it is that i um this fall, for me, I, if you'd have talked to me in August, I would have never imagined what this fall would have looked like for my schedule. I've ended up being in, I don't know, quite a dozen, but close to it, church, churches that have disaffiliated across Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, some who the, – the church won their vote. They won the percentage that they needed, uh, 67%. But then actually the ones that have been the most encouraging have, have been churches that have lost the vote. Um I went to West Point, uh, Mississippi. There is such a place, by the way. Um, I went to West Point, Mississippi, uh, Starkville, Mississippi, um, just here in in, um, in Ridgeland, Mississippi. And tr- those are three that come to mind immediately that lost their vote, and immediately hmm. new congregations formed the next week. Right. Right. And I I, I walked into these situations ready, you know, because they they just need a preacher. They need somebody who can come in and preach. So. Here, Wesley Biblical Seminary, you know, and we we're we're going out and taking these on. I have become a circuit rider. I've done sometimes three in a on a Sunday, and so like as I've been in these environments, I'm ready for them to be just a turtle shells, like you know, just. But what I found actually are vibrant communities, like people yeah. who are just like they're able to express things that they haven't been able to express. There, there's a there's a a joy there's excitement and then there's also some quite a lot of questions no doubt and some uncertainty for sure but Mm -hmm. i do think this is an exciting moment for wesleyanism for methodism as a whole and so yes there's hurt yes there are uh, there's some sin happening on both sides but at the same time this many of these churches that disaffiliated are are really in beautiful places well, yeah.
2: can I say something too really quick? Yeah, to I've yeah. talked to so many people who have attended these um, convening conferences for the annual conferences, not yes. the, like, and they have just talked about how wonderful the worship has been, you know, for, for the GMC in particular um, it, that, um, and even some of the Methodist church, just to say, like, there's been a sense of like, we can just, we're, we're, kind of past this now. Like we can just move on, you know, um, and there's a sense we're just coming together and we're just worshiping and we're focused on God and in, in most of the ones I'm hearing from the GMC they said there's just a sense of the spirit moving and encouraging and a peace about it that they had never experienced in their whole ministry um and um and, and it's just been significant like so many people have said that and so
1: you know i, I think there's something to that you know mm-hmm. yeah. and and i've actually heard, i've heard that you 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 hinted at it but i've heard that from united methodists too Mm um some who came back from annual conference to lake junaluska spoke of the same thing it's nice to be together when we're not at each other's throats yeah yeah yeah. you know to actually you know annual conference you know you you sing the hit the hymn and are we yet alive but but for the longest time there was a question mark there there's not a question mark in the original text um (laughs) It's, you know, we see each other's face and we're going, we're equipping, we're moving forward to, for the work ahead. That's what that hymn's about. And I think, hey, if that's, if that's what happens after the end of what I often call the Methodist realignment for everybody, then good. Yeah, good.
0: yeah, that's great. Well, I think that's a good number two. But number one was certainly something that hit everybody's social media and was something that was – uh, we couldn't have it. We couldn't have predicted that this would happen, but we thank God it did. And I'll let Jonathan go first on this. But number one, the number one story in the Wesleyan world is the work of the spirit in the Asbury Awakening. And sadly, I didn't get to the Holy City myself, but we have oh. somebody who is there. So, Jonathan, tell yeah. us, why is this the number one story?
2: Oh, goodness. Yeah. I mean, it. it, it yeah. Um a a surprising unexpected work of, of God, right? Like it just, uh, if we're going to use Jonathan Edwards, the great Calvinists, um, um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there, there was something, um, just so, so amazing about it. It's like so, so genuine about it, you know, like when this happened, um, uh, it's not new to Asbury, you know, there's, there's been these outpourings, um, revivals, uh, different things like this that have happened in the history of, of Asbury, and um and just knowing the leadership you know the the, the president there um yeah. I know the provost over there pretty well too yeah i think
0: you so, do
1: yeah <laughs> too.
2: um and um who's I, that
1: again jonathan
0: <laughs> it's,
2: uh their name Carrie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, my mom yeah <laughs> um, but um so i i'll, I'll just give a, a little bit of narrative here like personal narrative because that's typically yeah, how we it. talk about these things um I was teaching a class. My office is right here and uh, there's a classroom like right next to my office right over here. And I was over there teaching a class when all this happened. I was my my phone started blowing up with texts. Um, people saying something's going on in Hughes Auditorium. Hey, just thought you'd want to know. You might want to come over to Hughes. And this is when it was like a hundred people, you know, over there. Yeah. This wasn't like the world coming in. It was just like a hundred s- students and faculty and staff that were over there, you know. Um, and I uh, said, but something really significant is happening. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching on it. And there was a, uh, a student who had graduated from Asbury that was in that class. And so we were on a break and I just said, um, look, something's going on here. I, tell you, I was like, do you want to just go over? Like, do you all want to just go over? So like after the break, we just went over and just, you know, yeah. it was just walked in. And there's just a peace and a gentleness mm-hmm. to it. And everything, just very genuine. Um, a lot of prayer, saw a lot of people praying with each other. Um, at that time when we went over, there wasn't like, I know a lot of what got posted on social media was a lot of the music and some of the speaking and stuff like that. That's not what was happening. It was just prayer, you know, mm. praying together and just sitting still and being in the presence of God. And for me, there are a few things, um, and I've written about this, you know, I've I've published on it a couple places now. Um, but, um, for me, what, one of the things that, that, um, I was saying is like, I think what these outpourings do, what these revivals do, is kind of shake us and stir us and awaken us to what God is always doing. It's just in in a kind of a a sped up kind of way, right, and kind of a magnified kind of way. And it's like, why were so many people wanting to come to Hughes? Because there was a sense, God is here. You know, God is here. It's like, well, the Israelites were going to the temple for the same reasons, you know? Um, We go to worship every Sunday for the the same reason. We just forget you know, and a lot of things distract us, but yeah. it's like, well, this is what worship's always supposed to be. Every time we come, we've just like, we've, we have a habit of messing that up, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is like stirring us to remember that, you know, and, and to be aware of it. Um, so there's so much of that, but there was so much healing and reconciliation and, um, you know, with God, with one another, all, you know, all kinds of things. And so, um, So that first day, it was just really simple, really gentle. And and it kept that same spirit about it the whole time. But more and more people kept hearing about it. More and more people kept coming to it, you know. Um, And so it was really, really fascinating. And then you see, what does it mean in the age of social media? You know, because, again, it's not that these haven't happened before. But now that social media is here, it's getting projected and, and publicized more than before. And so that just made it very interesting and very strange in some ways even though they really fought against that um there saying like we really don't want we want you to be here and be present not trying to broadcast this everywhere so you know some of those things um one other thing just really quickly um some people have said um you know why does this keep happening at asbury like do they know how to um manipulate people Yeah. yeah conjure it manipulate people do all this Um, My friend, Teddy Ray, actually, I think had one of the best um, thoughts on this reflections on this. He was looking at it and he said, you know, when I think about this, I think of Psalm 130 and Psalm 130 has this line that says more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning, says people that are looking for God says those are people that posture themselves in a place to look for God and God's movement. And they keep that posture. You know, he says." Uh, and he said, I've been at Asbury. I've been part of Asbury. And the thing I know about the people there is they continually put themselves in a posture to see God and to see God moving. And he yes. said, so, so Psalm 130 might actually tell us why does this keep happening at Asbury?
0: Wow. Oh, I hadn't heard that. That is great. Great. Oh, I love that image, too. It makes me like, I feel like we should just stop right there. Let's have that posture, folks. That's that's the word for 2023. Yep. Um ryan but i will let you get in oh well i I could just uh,
1: say i I concur but um the (laughs) (laughs) no it was it was fun to watch him from a distance um and in fact i i did i ended up writing about it for the living church because um episcopalians kept coming to me and saying what in the world is going on (laughs) and i so they needed somebody who could speak episcopalian so they called me and they said write us an article for the living church about this and and it was published and it helped the Episcopalians and the Anglicans understand more clearly, um, you know, cause uh, revivals like this don't break out at high mass at, you know, Anglo Catholic parishes regularly. Um, <laughs> they do, they have different kinds of experiences than this, but it was amazing to watch. And, and, and I, you know, I, I love what Teddy said. That's so true. Yeah. When you're in communities who expect God to, to be there, um, it changes our vision. It changes our view. And, you know, people always ask, well, what, why was Wesley so successful? Well, in his own words, he watched for the showers of grace.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He ran after them. Yeah. And that's where we need to be. Beautiful.
0: Let's watch for the showers of grace. What a good picture. Thank you, Brian. Well, guys, thanks for coming along for this. just want to encourage people, if you see this on YouTube, would you subscribe? Would you share this? There's a lot of hopeful words for what God is doing. Um, kind of as C.S. Lewis says, Aslan is on the move. And so I think reflecting on these stories, yeah, there's a few that are a little, little tough to hear. But at the same time, there's a lot of hope in this. Um, again, encourage people, if you're interested in some of the things that I talk about the front of this podcast, andymiller3rd.com, that's andymillerii.com. Check out like some resources that could help you with small group materials and that kind of things going into 2024. Jonathan, Ryan, do you want to give me advertisements or anything that's coming out?
1: Well, I, I can tell you all that the, the Faith Once Delivered to Wesleyan Witness to Christian Orthodoxy is going to be published January 2024. By seedbed. So the great Good. work of the next Methodism Summit. And at the same time, as both of you know, the next Methodism Summit holiness is meeting next month to write a document on holiness of heart and life. I think that's going to be one of the stories of 2024.
0: Uh oh, he's predicting. He's making a prediction. Actually, making a prediction. it was a story last year, the, the first yep. Wesley Summit. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Well, this time we have 80 scholars from an even broader array of denominational uh communities and um and so the john wesley institute's excited to welcome these people to historic alexandria virginia once again there it is
0: and jonathan you've had a book come out this year right that you edited
2: i did yeah a wesleyan theology of baptism so dives into a lot of different topics around baptism uh theologically and and kind of practically um you know pastorally i should probably say um both both theologically pastorally not those are separated but um and a, a lot of great scholars that contributed. Um, very thankful for their work, and uh, um, that's through Cascade. Um, you can find it on on Amazon through Cascade's um, website. But it's um, "New Life in the Risen Christ" is the name of it. "New Life in the Risen Christ." Um, Ryan actually came up with that title. Um, I don't know if you remember that. What I don't remember. That. Yeah, we wow. talked one day, and I because so I, I said something, and you said like, well, "What about this?" I was like, "Oh, I like that better." <laughs> so. <laughs> um new life and the risen christ and then um uh but a, a wesleyan theology of baptism is the subtitle um
0: that's great i know um uh, one of our you know great adjuncts here at wbs steven bruns worked on that and, yes um, i could have made this a story interesting enough uh, i don't know i don't know if i've told you guys this but um andy miller the third and his children were baptized in 2023 that could have been a yeah so <laughs> i moved into the gmc and um so, and we felt like it was just the right time. We actually, uh, it might not fit prop. Maybe there, there could be, we, we uh, ended up because of the kind of some of the social dynamics, we ended up doing it with the, um, WBS faculty and, uh, in this, this community that kind of was a part of my coming, um, to here. And so anyhow, that I, I hope uh, here's what I hope. Uh, this is like my grown-up Christmas list, Christmas list of, uh, <laughs> for, for this year. Um, that a 2024 story will be the Salvation Army reinstitutes the sacraments. How about that? That'd be good. Good Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, thank you all for coming along. Uh, Thanks, of course, to Jonathan and Ryan. Thanks for checking out this podcast. We appreciate you all. Appreciate you guys. You two guys and anybody who's listening to this podcast. Thanks for joining us today.